All right, greetings and welcome back for Gnosis episode 11. My guest today is Christopher John Bjorkness. He's the author of many books and has been researching these subjects his entire life and writing about them and producing videos and doing interviews for decades. You can find more about him and his work at his website, cjbbooks.com. So, uh, Christopher, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest. I've, I've been uh, immersing myself with your research over the last several weeks, and I've had my mind blown pretty much every time. Uh, you're one of the most innovative and unique researchers I've ever come across. And the topics you uh, are revealing are, are especially pertinent to this day and age, uh, where we seem to be on the crux of imminent global catastrophe from either World War III or the, the, the vaccine, the bioweapon that was unleashed on the populace. And uh, recently I'm reading your book, Beware the World to Come. I'll go ahead and show this on screen here. I'm about 200 pages into it. Nice. <laughs> now we're, we look like we're in a club. We're on the same page, literally. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's fantastic work. And uh, I, I love for independent scholars without any uh, fear of censorship to just say their piece, speak their truth. And you've been doing that for decades. Um, your first work was exposing Albert Einstein, is that correct? Would you, would you mind just telling us a little bit about how you got into these esoteric fields of research and, and your path as a researcher? Uh, I came from a very well-educated, secular family. Um, all of my siblings were very uh, erudite, and um, two of my brothers started going to college when they were 11 years old. Uh, University of Chicago. So um, we were always immersed in intellectual discussion. Every subject was wide open. Uh, we could develop our own views. And um, I figured out at a very early age that uh, Christianity was in fact a copy of Greek philosophy. Uh, from the time I was a very young child, I realized that uh, many of the things that Jesus said, like the story of the wolf in sheep's clothing, was a repetition of what Aesop had said. And then as I grew, I started to study Platonic and Aristotelian philosophy. And um, that just further uh, provided evidence to the fact that uh, Judeo-Christianity is essentially based on Platonistic philosophy. I studied Middle Platonism, Neoplatonism, and realized that um, Greeks had a very heavy influence on the Alexandrian Jews who produced uh, Judeo-Christianity. And uh, later, um, I started doing experiments into uh, how gravity worked. And my father said to me, there must be something genetic about that because my ancestors, Carl Anton Bjorkness and Wilhelm Bjorkness had developed um, ethereal models of gravitation and electromagnetism and column forces. And they were able to create uh, in fluids uh, through Dirichlet's principle, models which replicated gravitation and electromagnetism. And I started to study ethereal theories, and that fit in perfectly with my theories that um, the cosmology of Judeo-Christianity is a repetition of the Greeks' belief that there was an ether in space. 
And I started to study the actual uh, etymology of phrases like Holy Spirit and how that would relate to the ether theories. And I found that a lot of other people had gone down that same path and that uh, the cosmology of Genesis chapter one, especially verses one to five, matches uh, the way the Greeks had uh, set up the creation of the world. And I studied uh, logos and ether and the idea of spirit and ghost being a mistranslation of wind. And um, I wanted to discover why my ancestors' uh, theories of gravitation and magnetism did not uh, take hold, even though they became very popular at the turn of the uh, 18th to 19th century. And I started to study Einstein's theories of gravitation, and I came across a book called Principle of Relativity. And it was apparent from that book that Einstein had plagiarized the work of Hendrik Antun Lorenz. And the further I investigated, I saw that many people had gone down that path as well. And uh, Edmund Taylor Whitaker wrote a, a very famous um, two volume set on histories of the theories of the ether. And he pointed out that Poincaré and Lorentz created the theory of relativity and that Einstein had merely plagiarized it. And I went on the internet in 1995, 1996, and I thought that everybody would be massively excited to learn about this. And I started to get accused of anti-Semitism. <laughs> and on my mother's side, my grandfather was at least half Jewish, and this was something I hadn't experienced before. And uh, part of defending myself was investigating what was going on here because it was so very clear that uh, Einstein had plagiarized all this stuff and I had never experienced attacks like this. And I learned that Einstein was also a Zionist and I started to investigate uh, Zionism and the ties to uh, Zionism being declared a form of racism by the United Nations and um, and I uh, went down that path and I saw that many of these things were interrelated and were part of an overarching uh, agenda. And um, I had always felt that the prophecies were being utilized as plans and the plans of the Zionists were very clearly um, aligned to the prophecies of the Old Testament. And I realized that Christians were being manipulated to fulfill the exact same plans from an inverted perspective. And um, all of my research into Platonism, Middle Platonism, and Neoplatonism paid off. And I was aware that Gnosticism and Kabbalah were derived from uh, Platonism. And that alarmed me because all of these forces are working toward the destruction of humanity. And all of this research, uh, I had largely compiled it in 2005 in my book, The Manufacture and Sale of St. Einstein. And um, I put that up on the internet as a PDF. It was almost 3000 pages. And I documented all of this history. And then I started doing interviews. I went on French Connection with Daryl Bradford Smith. And uh, ever since then, I have broken that major work, my magnum opus, uh, the manufacture and sale of St. Einstein, 
into various other works. And uh, of course, over the years, I accumulated vastly more research and uh, everything I'm finding uh, vindicates everything that I had initially said back in 2005 and has led me down several roads. And uh, I feel an obligation uh, having this unique um, confluence of various things, philosophical, physics, uh, historical, to uh, share my knowledge and insights with people and to uh, put this information out uh, as best I can. And I'm very grateful to you for the opportunity to do that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, you know, in, in a better world, independent scholars who are willing to challenge the assumptions of, of the dogma of the state and of, of religious zealotry uh, would be given much more attention. But in our world, where so much is inverted, uh, you're being shadow banned and demonetized and delisted as I am. And so essentially anyone who's who's really ringing the bell for truth and, and looking in the uh, the shadowy corners of the of the collective psyche, uh, that's that's kind of a sign you're on the right path, I think. Because, <laughs> and it's amazing to think, you know, Einstein is made out to be a saint. He's made out to be this uber Jewish genius, intellectual, who's given us uh, a new conception of reality. And as you have revealed through your work and others who've uh, followed suit, you know, the guy was a total plagiarist and he wasn't a good human being from what I gather. Otherwise, he's abandoned his children, I've, I've heard, and, uh, you know, cheating on his wife, that, that type of uh, narcissistic personality that exists with a lot of quote-unquote geniuses who oftentimes they're revealed later to have been nothing more than, than just uh, egomaniacs who are uh, serving some type of ultimate agenda. And so with Einstein and his theory of relativity and Kabbalah, I wonder, the, the and that's very interesting. You brought up that the, the Greeks were actually responsible for the, they, they essentially cribbed and, and appropriated Greek uh, cosmology to create Kabbalah. Is that what you're saying? Oh, absolutely, yes, especially that of the Neoplatonist emanation theories. Uh, Parmenides, uh, long, very early on, came up with this idea that there was a monad, which was um, indivisible and contained absolute goodness and the first intellect and ideal forms. And Plato built upon that idea and created the concept of the demiurge because the one is ideal unity. It could not separate itself to create the universe. So the universe had to be created by an emanation from the one, which was called the demiurge, the craftsman. And that becomes in Kabbalah, especially Lurianic Kabbalah, the concept that there was a contraction of the Ein Sof, who represents the one of Greek philosophy, in order to create a vacuous space in which creation could be formed. And then light was emanated into that vacuous space. And then there was a series of 10 progressive emanations into the further vessels of the Tree of Life, which people have probably seen and which appears on the cover of my book, um, the world to come and that the lower seven of these vessels shattered and the vessels themselves are composed of chaos and darkness. And this becomes a, uh, 
very xenophobic, very racist conception that non-Israelites are composed of those seven lower shattered vessels, but that the Israelites are the divine spark of that light, which was emanated from what the Greeks called the one or the monad, uh, what is called by them the Ein uh, or the infinite light, and that the goal of the uh, Neoplatonists was for the spark of that soul to be released from the prison of these shattered vessels, the Kelly Potter husks, as they're called in Kabbalah, so that the soul can be freed from the prison of the body and return to the one and achieve that ideal, perfect unity with God, which the mystics called the... Um, Unio Mystica, the ecstatic reunion with God. So all of these concepts were uh, directly taken from the Greeks. And they want to create the mythology that they were divinely inspired when they were instead um, adopting, as was common in the ancient world, creating syncretic religions. The Greeks uh, lifted it from the Chaldeans and from the Egyptians and from the uh, Phoenicians and the Syrians. So there was nothing unusual about all this. But what did become unusual was this racist prescription that all other peoples are composed of the evil of the material world, which is at the bottom of the Sephirotic tree in the uh, Sephirah Malkut, which is the earth. And that in order for them to attain uh, this world of light, the non-Israelites have to be exterminated. And they put a time scale on this, which uh, is composed of 6,000 years. The six days of creation are a process of rectifying the world, which was uh, damaged by the shattering of these lower seven vessels. So what they're saying they're doing is they're sifting out these uh, shards of the seven lower vessels, which include the non-Israelites as the Kelipatha shells, which conceal the divine sparks of light, which were emanated uh, first into the very top, Keter, which is the crown, and then uh, down through the uh, Sephirah into Malkut. So they portray this as if it is a philanthropic venture that they call Tikkun Olam, or rectifying the world, and they say that it is their mission to do so. And many of them aren't aware of uh, what I divulge in my book, but the ultimate aim of all of this is to create a world, in, world to come in which there are only 600,000 androgynous immortals who become their own gods. And uh, part of Kabbalah is the antinomian idea of the Shabbatai and Frankis that uh, the law of the Torah only applied to the six days of creation during which the process of rectification occurs. But in order to complete it in the seventh day, everything has to be inverted and reversed and sin has to triumph over morality. And so they believe in salvation through sin and uh, we know from the letters of Jacob Frank, the red letters, that they had always planned for there to be oceans of blood spilled, which became the uh, Bolshevik Revolution and the World Wars. So we have to be on guard because part of Kabbalah is the idea that uh, these world wars would take uh, three, three uh, phases. Uh, 
and we have only seen the first two phases. And they break their time scale of those six days down in different ways. The Zoharites and the Freemasons use the Anno Lucas calendar, and the end of the 6,000 years occurred in 2000, which is why I believe 9-11 was pulled off in 2000. But the Anno Mundi calendar and the Hebrew calendar add another 240 years to that, but they also have the mythology that the sooner it happens, the better. Because if they wait to the very expiration of those 6,000 years of creation from the creation of Adam, then, and they fail to achieve their goals of rectifying the world, then their gods, uh, Yahweh and Shekinah, will destroy the world for them. And that could have very calamitous effects on them as well as the rest of humanity. Oh my. Uh... Wow. And I hope that people take this seriously. You will notice that I have received no serious criticism. No one has pointed out to a uh, factual error or to a logical error in any of my book. And instead, they have tried to uh, silence me as best they can because they know that I can verify and demonstrate everything that I'm saying. As strange as it all seems, uh, I didn't come up with these ideas. I'm just the messenger of them. It, it is strange. And that, that is something that it's taken me a while to be able to let it sink in. Uh, what's helped is being able to hear you, you very patiently and thoroughly explaining all of your citations and your sources and, and uh, pointing out that their own documents uh, testifying to this belief. And then, of course, the real world manifestation with something like 9-11, which was an atrocious terroristic act against humanity. And then, of course, uh, connecting it to something like Tisha B'Av. Uh, speaking of which, uh, I recently had Joseph Atwell on the show, and I'd like to play a, a short two to five minute segment where he's describing his own perception of why they choose these particular events to and dates and time uh, to sacrifice essentially Gentiles towards uh, this tikkun alam obsession they have. And, and they have this genocidal uh, mandate that they believe they have to fulfill in order to fix things. But as you mentioned, it's totally inverted. Uh, it seems totally satanic to me to say, well, we have to slaughter everyone non-Jewish. And of course, determining who is a Jew or not. I mean, you have the matriarchal descent, but then you have a legal aspect. And then you have, of course, uh, you know, you could you could become a religious convert and become Jewish. So that, that's such a strange admixture that enables them to essentially push all three as as a mask for their true intentions and pull people into this this strange diaspora of uh, I guess you'd say, you know, this this intent to holocaust others or sacrifice them. That's exactly what it is: burnt sacrifice. Oh, it's it's insane. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, jump over to this with Joseph Atwill. And let me just adjust the screen real quick so we can see this. Here it goes. Um, if you think about kind of how the modern oligarchic circle uses uh, symbols, and there is this uh, historical structure, you know, that everyday per people are just suffering from and we don't really understand but there are symbols that are vi visible that kind of give us a clue as to what what is actually going on i mean you're talking about 911 well 
I, I relate 911 to Tisha which was a, a Hebrew expression of 911. And, and now in it's it's reversed. They they don't have in Tisha B'Av. It's the um, the month and the date. The, the month and the days. It, it's it is the the expression nine one one. But the reason why I'm reasonably sure that it was the basis for the date is because um, Tisha B'Av is the uh, the date that um, uh, the Temple of Jerusalem was destroyed. Oh. Oh on two separate occasions. Um, in other words, the, the, um, the temple was destroyed um, yes. by the Babylonians, I believe, and then uh, again by the Romans. And, uh, and Titus claimed that the temple was destroyed on this date, the same date that a thousand years earlier, um, the, uh, the, the first destruction of the temple. So in other words, you've had two temples they both been destroyed, um, and it was on the same day. This Tisha B'av. Now, that is represented as nine one one, the ninth day of the eleventh month. So, so people say, well, but wait, Joe, it's not the same thing. Well, you have to remember, if my analysis or or suspicion is correct, they're basically linking and mocking to the. Um, the typology that that the Romans used, and and so the the dating system which created the the second destruction of the temple is is completely artificial. It's typologic. They're just linking it to something in the past, and they're just doing it, you know, with kind of crude numerical symbols that they're linking together. Yes. Well, not necessarily crude, but they're. But anyway, so it's it is in the spirit sort of of the. Uh, of the Roman typology, that this reversing of it. And so you have the three buildings being destroyed, like the Trinity, the uh, Flavian Trinity, you know, representing if uh, so it when I, you know, for someone, you know, who's kind of familiar with the Caesar's Messiah analysis, you look at the uh, 911 and you go, wait a second. Um, this is seem sure seems a lot like a kind of a, a commemoration a typologic sort of re rebuttal to the destruction of the temple. You know, this is, uh, you know, just a response that that's kind of reverses everything. And um, that would be um, in keeping uh, with, for example, the reversing of uh, the gospel story that I show in the Shakespearean literature. You know, if you look at Titus Andronicus, you know, how clearly the stories in the gospels are just being rewoven symbolically into uh, stories in which uh, the Gentile nobility suffered the same fate that the, uh, the Jewish nobility did. And that is, that is cryptically depicted in the gospel where the Hasmonean royal family is being mocked as the disciples of Jesus. And then they are unwittingly eating human flesh at the last supper. Right. <laughs> So then, then when you look at yeah. uh, when you look at that Titus Andronicus, you can see. Wait a second, you know this is exactly the same. In fact, um, you know, uh, I'm sometimes asked. They, people say, "Well, how could you have seen, you know, and you know, like did did you spend years studying the Shakespearean literature? You know, how did how did you ever come up with these insights?" 
it's really kind of funny because my entire career as a Shakespearean scholar lasted from Thursday till like Sunday. I mean, literally, I, um, I, someone asked me about Titus Andronicus, and and I was curious because. So uh, just just a, a brief bit from our uh, episode two, Joseph Atwill, the British Freemasonic creation of Zionism, Theosophy, and World War Two. I highly recommend that to everyone out there if you want to uh, approach this from a multifaceted perspective. Uh, between Joe and Christopher, I think you're you're going to have probably the the best most uh, elucid what best best elucidated uh, perspective on where this religion has come from, uh, how it's been forcing its agenda down our throats throughout human history, and how it's culminating in, in the events we're seeing today with you know COVID and of course 9/11 and the war and terror and so forth. So uh, thank you for allowing me to share that. Uh, let me go ahead and switch back here. And uh, I would love to hear your perspective, having heard uh, Mr. Atwill describing, you know, Tisha B'Av as this this ritualistic date that uh, essentially affirms their worldview as being these eternal victims, and yet they're the ones producing these events. As you said before, you know, the, gen the, the prophecy is the plan. Well, as Mr. Atwill pointed out, uh, it relates to the destruction of the temple. And Shabbatai Tsevi claimed that his birthday was on Tisha B'Av. And um, the reason that the Messiah was said to be born on that date is because the destruction of the temple created the need, the necessity for the Messiah to arrive and uh, reassemble the diaspora. But these things all created, predated the uh, Roman destruction of the temple. And there is a clear plan for it uh, enunciated in the Septuagint from about 270 BC. And uh, I don't think that the Romans were involved in uh, drafting the Septuagint or had uh, in mind uh, the creation of Christianity. But I certainly do think that the Alexandrian Jews who uh, created the Septuagint were involved in that. In terms of the two pillars, I don't think it relates to the Trinity. It relates instead to the uh, Sephirotic tree, which you see before you. There is the pillar of mercy on the right-hand side, centered in chesed, which means mercy, which is the mercy of the Lord. And then there is the pillar on the left-hand side, which is the pillar of severity and punishment centered on Gavura, the fifth emanation, as in the pentagram, which is Mars, the planet Mars, the seat of Satan, Samael, who is the accuser, the uh, punisher, and the prosecutor. It is also called Din, and it does relate to severity and punishment. And that is represented in Freemasonry by the two pillars. And you'll notice in Freemasonry, they place the sun and the moon over those, signifying both uh, the moon, which represents Samael, and the sun, which represents the Lord, the, um, the mercy. And the concept is that the scapegoat on Yom Kippur is a sacrifice that is given to Satan, Samael, centered on the uh, pentagram of the fifth emanation, Gavura or Din. 
and that this sacrifice transfers all the sins of Israel to the Gentiles because it confuses Samael. Again, Samael is the accuser and the prosecutor and the punisher in the heavenly court. And they believe that on uh, Yom Kippur, on the moon, there is a gathering of the 70 princes of the 70 nations. There is a gathering that includes also the Lord, Yahweh Adonai, and Samael. And Samael stands at the right hand of the Lord and issues the accusations stands as the witness because he has tempted all the sins of Israel. He's therefore there to witness them when they occur. And also in Kabbalistic lore, he seduces uh, the female aspect of the Lord, Shekinah, and engages in intercourse with her. And when they provide this scapegoat on Yom Kippur, which they push off a cliff and give in the wilderness to the devil, to Samael, it lures Samael away from the female aspect of Yahweh, who is Shekinah, and he ceases having intercourse with her and becomes confused. And in his confusion, he falsely accuses his children, the Gentiles, of all the sins of Israel. So the accusations, the punishment, and the prosecution, which is taking place from the fifth emanation on the pillar of severity, are granted mercy by the Lord on the pillar of mercy, chesed. And in this way, Gentiles are prosecuted, persecuted, and executed for the sins of Israel. And Israel obtains the mercy of the Lord by uh, what they, they literally created the concept of the scapegoat by scapegoating others. So I think that is uh, the symbolism that is represented by the destruction of the Twin Towers. It was the destruction of the present world, Olam Hazeh, and it was meant to usher in the new world of Olam Haba. And on that Sephirotic uh, tree in the middle column, these represent both male and female. The pillar of mercy is the male aspect and the pillar of severity is on the left-hand side and that represents the female aspect. The central column is the balance between those two. The male aspect is seen as the goodness and the light and the seed and the left-hand side um, which is called the evil inclination and the sitra achra, the other side, is uh, severity and punishment and represents darkness, chaos, and the womb. And it is only through the intermingling of the seed and the womb that creation can exist. So in the center, you have the androgyny uh, centered at the top at Keter, which is Adam Kadmon, the crown. And uh, he is an androgynous figure. In the middle of that central pillar of balance, you have Tiferet, which represents the male aspect of Yahweh. Below Tiferet, you have Yesod, which is the foundation. It is also called Sadik, the righteous one, and that represents the messi messianic figure and the uh, four elements of creation, which are called Yesodot in uh, Kabbalah. And that serves as the phallus of the male aspect of the Godhead. The uh, 
male aspect itself is Tiferet. And then at the bottom, you have Shekinah, Melkut, which is the earth. And the goal of the Kabbalists is to arouse Yesad, the phallus of Tiferet, in order to cause the mating of uh, Tiferet, which is the sun, and the earth, which is the female evil aspect of darkness in the material world, Shekinah, to uh, engage in intercourse and mate again, and thereby become androgynous. Yasad is the moon, Malkut is the earth, and Tiferet is the sun. So what they want to do is what they describe as elevating Malkut to Tiferet, reuniting the Godhead in its original form. And they also want to reunite human beings in the original form of Adam, which was androgynous. The Bible says that Adam was created in the image of the Elohim, meaning the gods, meaning the male and female aspect of El and Asherah, who become Yahweh and Shekinah. So one of the ways in which they can reunite these two powers is to reconstruct that temple of Solomon, which was twice destroyed on Tisha B'Av. And the other thing is that on uh, Friday night, in preparation for the Sabbath, uh, Jews are supposed to engage in uh, intercourse, which um, causes these two to reunite and become androgynous. And the ultimate goal of Kabbalah and Gnosticism is for all of humanity at the end of these 6,000 years to become androgynous. Beware the World to Come by Christopher John Buren. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to play that video. I just wanted you had a to to support that. You had a video you put up recently, Kabbalah Christianity and the Androgyny Agenda. And I wanted to let people know about your amazing YouTube channel where uh, you've been cranking them out lately. And they're all uh, fascinating to, to take in and consider. So I would I would recommend for people if you don't have the time to pick up the book right away, uh, support his channel, subscribe, like the videos, leave some comments, ask questions. Uh, just phenomenally interesting material and not like anything I've ever heard otherwise. And as he said, it is supported in their documents. So it's all provided by Mr. Bjorkness. And uh, so th they have this androgynous agenda where they believe that God was originally the Elohim, male and female. And that yes. And that was common back then. Uh, the Greeks had the uh, creator God who became the Demiurge in um, Platonistic philosophy was originally the Orphic god Phanes Protogenes, which means light bringer first begotten, which is how Jesus was described. Jesus is a copy of this uh, Orphic mystery religion god Phanes Protogenes, who emerged from um, his parents, Kronos and Ananka, as a giant silver or golden age, and then exploded all the light of his being to create creation again as the mixture of the seed of light into the womb of darkness. And this is where all this uh, Kabbalistic mythology originates. And it's very dangerous because they are now uh, mutilating children to experiment on how to make humanity into an immortal androgynous form. And they are also experimenting with how to convert men's skin cells into egg cells so that the male can provide both the uh, light of the seed and the uh, egg cell and that they can artificially create people because from the very uh, beginnings in chapter two, three, and four of Genesis, 
procreation was viewed as a sin and an evil thing that resulted from the separation of the androgyne Adam into Adam and Eve. The original concept of the knowledge of good and evil was Adam's knowledge that he had both a male and a female aspect and that by um, engaging in intercourse, he could procreate. The creation of life was supposed to be the domain of the gods. So he violated that domain by being separated into male and female and creating life himself. And the female was cursed for that to have menstruation and pain in childbirth. So their perspective was always that natural reproduction was rooted in evil, that it violated the principle that human beings were created in the image of androgynous gods, and that it has to end. And instead, procreation should be done in a laboratory through the ripening of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, which has now enabled mankind after the 6,000 years and the fruit of knowledge has become ripe to become gods ourselves and to learn how to um, manipulate the uh, primordial substratum of chaos in order to create life from it ourselves as the Elohim had done. And just as the Elohim created life forms which threatened their existence, which could become immortal gods and kill them off, uh, and they were chased out of the Garden of Eden for doing that and cursed to bear flesh, we are now creating artificial intelligence and sentient beings who threaten to kill us off. And the goal is to uh, restore the form of Adam as an androgynous immortal, get rid of the pains of childbirth, get rid of females in their perspective and replace both males and females with immortal androgynes who will then kill off humanity, just as humanity was slated to kill off the gods by acquiring knowledge. They now have the knowledge to create these 600,000 immortal androgynes who will then destroy the rest of humanity. And they are creating uh, laboratories and massive uh, facilities for creating human beings like homunculi in uh, these glass flasks, which again has been their plan for 2000 years in order to replace us with these uh, beings that they have wanted to construct. Uh, from the beginning of the creation of the oral tradition of Judaism. And that's something that uh, Christians and uh, I suspect even many Jews are unaware of, is that they never really believed in the Torah. The Torah was a written book, which was written in code to deceive the Gentile world. And they always had an oral tradition, which explained that code, both the gematria of the code and the hidden meanings of that code. And they always kept it oral so that the Gentiles could never find out about it. They didn't want the Gentiles to find out about it because even as vicious as the Old Testament and New Testament are. This is even worse. And it, the oral traditions explicitly separate humanity into these two uh, different strains. One strain is the children of Satan through his male and female aspects, Samael and Lilith, who are the Gentiles. The other strain is the Lord's lot, as described in the Old Testament, 
who represent the children of Yahweh and Shekinah. And their mission is to exterminate the pagan gods of what they call the other side, the Sitra and to exterminate the Sitra itself. And these two things are interrelated for them because they believe if they kill off the pagan gods of the Sitra then the uh, pagans themselves lose all of their supernatural protection from the heavens. And they also believe that these gods only come into existence like egregores through the belief of the pagans. So by killing off the pagans, they kill off the pagans' gods. So uh, it's a reciprocal relationship as above, so below, that these two things accomplish one and the same thing. It is Yahweh's desire to kill off all the other gods. Yahweh is a jealous God. And it is uh, jealous Jewry's desire to kill off all other non-human, all other, they consider them to be non-human beings. And this does not reflect on the vast majority of Jews. This oral tradition is hidden from them as well. It was only in the year 1840 when the Zohar predicted that the gates and fountains of wisdom would be opened above and below that even little tiny bits of this Kabbalistic lore started to leak out. And then we saw the uh, Marxist revolutions and the Zionist movement um, heavily accelerate in the 1840s. So the the vast majority of Jewish people should not be saddled with this nonsense, but the most powerful elites in Jewry uh, do know all of this oral tradition. And many of them are um, enacting it and imposing it on humanity. And the Jews suffered horribly from it in World War II, together with everyone else. And the Gentiles suffered even more horribly from it through the Bolshevik Revolution and through the uh, Communist Revolution in China. And we're all about to really get walloped with it if we don't do something to stop it. Oh, my God, yes. It's uh, terrifying because it's to even present these ideas in a public forum, of course, you're immediately labeled anti-Semitic, which is just a catch-all phrase to denounce anybody who ever questions the origins or the intent mm-hmm. of uh, this priest class that's hijacked uh, essentially the world. And uh, they have this this agenda to, as you were saying, foster uh, to war against God, really, in creation and to become gods. That's exactly it. And that was expressly, uh, that is the hidden code of the very first book and the very first couple of chapters in Genesis is this idea that gods create sentient beings who then kill off the gods. And the gods become afraid of that so that uh, they become enemies of these new beings. And they believe that humanity will respond to their plan to create these new sentient beings, which will exterminate us, uh, justifies them in taking this preemptive strike in killing off what they call Esau or the twin brother of Jacob, which is Jewry, because they know that Esau will seek to defend himself from this aggressive attack so that they feel justified in killing off these people just as the gods felt justified in chasing Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden with the flaming sword and putting in the cherubim to protect themselves. And this again derives from the Greeks, Prometheus created man, and Zeus feared that man would ascend Mount Olympus and slay the Olympian gods. 
So Zeus placed the curse of females on men to uh, inhibit men's progress. And this story is retold as the story of chasing Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden in the fall and in the story of the Tower of Babel in inhibiting man's progress and man's ability to unite against the gods by um, putting them into echo chambers where they would speak individual languages in the generation of confusion. So there is this, this constant need to vilify non-Israelites and non-Jews as if bearing a genetic hatred of Jews because Jews seek to replace them. And this is all rooted in the concept of the Gentiles being the firstborn of Satan, of chaos and darkness, and the Jews being the secondborn of light and the need in the cosmic cycle for light to instill law and order on chaos, they saw themselves as the lawgivers and the givers of order and uh, the destroyers of chaos. And part of that process is the destruction of the Gentiles. But then Kabbalah and Gnosticism came along and they said that, hey, Satan is actually the good guy. And that the, at the end of this cycle, it mirrors the beginning of the cycle. And that darkness and chaos will eventually absorb all the energy of light and become more powerful. And chaos was primordial. It was the firstborn. So Jacob steals the birthright of the firstborn and takes their place and tries to pull uh, Esau back into the womb of darkness and nullify Esau and um, create nothingness out of Gentiles and restore them to the nothingness from which they were birthed. But they believe that in this process, the chaos and darkness absorbs all the energy of the light. And that initially that moon that the Freemasons portrayed three luminaries, the moon, the sun and the North Star, that initially the moon shone as brightly as the sun and was as large as the sun. But the moon can be seen both day and night because chaos is the beginning of the cycle and the end of the cycle. And they want to inherit the birthright of the Gentiles to inherit the world to come because the firstborn of the womb is given the double portion of the inheritance and the moon can be seen both night and day but the sun sets on the world and cannot be seen at night so they have the mythology that they are going to steal that double portion of the birthright of the gentiles and steal their souls of the womb of chaos when the darkness comes to shine in the eighth day. And that's why the menorah has eight candles. And that's why the Kabbalahs, Kabbalists look forward to the shining darkness of the eighth day. The Israelite calendar has always been based on the phases of the moon. And they juxtapose themselves to the Romans and the Greeks and the Egyptians who based their calendar on the days and the cycles of the sun. And they say that the moon intrudes upon its neighbor and appears both night and day. And therefore, in the world to come, the sun will be extinguished and the moon will be the primary luminary and the Gentiles will be extinguished. The sun will set once and for all on the Gentiles who have no inheritance in the world to come. And Jacob will steal and inherit the double portion of Esau's inheritance. 
And and this is described in in the Old Testament, in the Torah, in the in the Mishnah, and in, in, in different. So you have to read all these documents, and then with a keen eye to filter out and and discover this agenda, and and of course how they uh, substantiate their beliefs. Uh, but to me, it just reads like this insane fever dream. Um, and I wonder. That and it's not only uh, the Gentiles that they want to kill off. At the end of the cycle, they want to break this cycle. So they want to kill off the gods so that chaos reigns forever and has this ultimate energy of have, having absorbed all of the daylight and that they themselves will become the masters of chaos. And they see uh, technology as a product of the material world and they view Satan as the provider of the knowledge and as the good God because it was Satan in the Garden of Eden who tempted Adam and Eve to consume knowledge and made them like the gods. And what they lacked was the immortality of the gods. So they are now trying to restore Adam's 600,000 souls as immortal androgynes who then become gods. And the Greeks had this concept of a hierarchy of being, a great chain of being. And at the top, you have the monad who becomes uh, the ein, the ein sof, and the ein sof ur in uh, Kabbalah. And it, as you progress down, as I said before, that one, that highest God creates the demiurge who is beneath God and separate from God. And then beneath the demiurge, you have the world soul, who is the female aspect of the demiurge, who contains these 600,000 souls, who uh, in Kabbalah becomes the female aspect of Adam Kadmon and the guff and the well of the uh, 600,000 Jewish souls. Beneath them, you have the lesser gods, who in the Canaanite mythology were the 70 children of El and Asherah, the separation of the one into its male and female aspects. And then beneath those, you have the angels and the demons, and the angels and the demons, uh, since the um, Kabbalists want to pretend to be monotheists, they call these lesser gods angels and demons, but they have all the same roles and the same names, as the gods of the Greeks and the Egyptians. Beneath that, you have human beings who are in the very middle of this hierarchy of being. Beneath human beings who have souls, but also have material bodies, the angels don't, the demons don't. You have the animals who have souls, and then you have plants who have souls, and the plants are composed of minerals. And beneath minerals, you have pure chaos, which is nothingness. So human beings are trapped in the middle of this hierarchy and face a decision. Does the human being follow the left-hand path and its uh, material lusts down into the hell of chaos and join with Satan to become his own God, which is completely separate from the monad at the top of the hierarchy of being? And uh, the Kabbalists believe that there's a Kelipotic tree below the Sephirotic tree and that you can descend through the Kelipot down to Satan at the base and separate entirely from God and become your own God who becomes the master of chaos. Or you can take the path of following the emanations of the Sephirot back up to the one, back up to Keter, and become a righteous person and become a tzaddik and reunite with God and experience the union mystica. But the very highest Kabbalists, the uh, Shabbatians, the Frankists, and the banking elite pursue the left-hand path, 
downwards. And they want to get as far away from God as possible. Mm -hmm. Satan is the great divider. He separates you from God, but grants you your independence and control over the material world. Satan gives you the knowledge of how to descend down that telepotic tree, the tree of death, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in order to uh, grant you the knowledge of the gods so that you can separate from the gods and become your own gods. And ultimately, that knowledge will become so powerful that humanity will gain the ability to slay the gods as it has always intended to do, which is why the gods are terrified of humanity. And the, the, the God's terror of humanity always took the form of the ascent of human beings to that heavenly divine realm of the gods. And the gods wanted to drive humanity down this hierarchy of being towards Satan in order to defend themselves. But they left us in the middle of this hierarchy of being. The Kabbalists are trying to drive us down this hierarchy of being by taking away our ability to consume plants and animals and instead consume a mineral diet. They call this the nullification of the Gentiles. They are um, re turning Gentiles into the nothingness of chaos at the very base of the hierarchy of being. And they are duping Gentiles to become Satanists and to follow this left-hand path. But when Gentiles follow the left-hand path, it nullifies them. When Kabbalists follow the left-hand path, it frees the darkness to absorb the shining darkness of their souls. So the whole concept of tikkun olam is a lie and an illusion. And ultimately in this cycle, you have these two trees, you have the sephirotic tree of life on top, and you have the kelipotic tree of death on the bottom, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. At the end of the cosmic cycle, it rotates like the Euroboros. And then you will have what are now the roots of the tree being the crown of the tree and what are now the crown of the tree being the base of the tree. And you will have the moon shining and the uh, luminaries of night governing the universe. And all of the Gentiles will have been destroyed and nullified into nothingness. And the uh, tree of death will then become the tree of life, which enables through the gnosis of Satan the Kabbalists to manufacture new life forms, which replicate the original life form of Adam as an androgynous immortal being. And we see, we see in Israel, no less, these technologies coming to fruition. We see the media and the government insisting upon the, um, the, uh, the vicious mutilation of humanity and of children into androgynous beings in their experiments as guinea pigs to convert human beings back into what they believe was the original form of humanity as androgynes mirroring the androgynous gods. Incredible. And I've heard a lot of this in different ways wrapped up in Freemasonry. Uh, previously, I worked with a Freemason uh, and he was much more of an apologist. He tends to uh, adhere to the the safest interpretation of the path and purpose of Freemasonry. Uh, but I've heard some of these as more esoteric aspects described. But of course, you know, he 
did not see them as nefarious, but as this kind of culmination of mankind's potential. And of course, that we are supposed to inevitably become gods and, and through technology, uh, you know, storm the uh, tree of life, so to speak. Uh, this is a quote that comes to mind thinking about all this, how it's been employed right under our noses in different capacity through Freemasonry, which like uh, Jesuitism uh, seems to be a, the assassin arm of the Catholics and Freemasonry seems to have served a similar role. And uh, they seem to be integrated in different ways that are uh, interesting to consider. Uh, so for instance, uh, here's J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, he had dirt on everyone. He was like Epstein. You know, he, he's responsible probably for the assassination of Dr. King and Robert F. Kennedy and others. Uh, he, of course, was a 33rd degree Scottish Rite Freemason. Uh, if you look closely at his tie there, it appears to be the sigil of, of Lucifer, but I'm not exactly sure. But to the left, he's, he's clearly a high ranking. Uh, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Oh, goodness. Shriner. Thank you. He's a he's a Shriner. So this integration of the different aspects of this uh, divide and conquer trialectic, I guess you would say, between Judaism, free, uh, Judaism, Christianity and Islam. But he, he states the individual is handicapped by coming face to face with a conspiracy so monstrous he cannot believe it exists. The American mind simply has not come to a realization of the evil which has been introduced into our midst. It rejects even the assumption that human creatures could espouse a philosophy which must ultimately destroy all that is good and decent. 33rd degree Freemason, Shriner, and first director of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover. There's a book uh, by Max Heindel, which is now in the public domain and easily accessible on archive.org and uh, other places on the internet. Max Heindel, Freemasonry and Catholicism. Yes. And he uh, described this concept that Freemasons view themselves as having the Lucifer spirit as being the children of Samael, children of the devil, which is the Kabbalistic conception of all Gentiles. They have three uh, satanic souls and that they view themselves as being uh, blessed with this drive of the intellect to obtain the gnosis of Satan so that like Cain and like uh, Tubal Cain, they could pursue technology and cities and get away from the Garden of Eden as far as possible. The Garden of Eden was the golden age in which nature provided everything to humanity and in which the labor of farming would be viewed as a curse. And Cain and Adam were cursed with this labor of farming the barren land and then creating cities and utilizing technology to provide for their sustenance. But Freemasons are taught to view this not as a curse, but as a blessing because they view themselves as being more manly and they view Jewry as descendants of Seth and themselves descendants of Cain. Part of this Gnostic Kabbalistic mythology is that in the Garden of Eden, Samael and Lilith, the male and female aspect of uh, Satan, seduced Cain and produced the, uh, their child, Cain, uh, as an incubus and a succubus, hmm. seducing Eve, and that all Gentiles are therefore the offspring of Satan. And um, the Freemasons very much adopt this view 
and they glorify it and they uh, relish in it. And they see themselves as having this intellect and this drive and this energy of Satan and this Lucifer spirit to manufacture the uh, temple and the world to come. What they don't realize is that this mythology which they uh, voluntarily adopt, nullifies them. It uh, portrays them as this evil other side, the Yetzahara, the evil inclination, the Sitra Achra, the other side, um, the Sitra de Smola, the left-hand side. And Jewry is the Sitra Yamina, the right-hand side, the descendants of Seth, and the uh, Sitra de Kadosha, the holy side. And that side obliterates the Gentile side. But Tikkun Olam uh, has hoodwinked people into believing that all this represents the daylight and the bright light of sun and goodness. But they never worship the sun. They always worship the moon. They always set their calendar on the moon. Yom Kippur relates to the new moon and the darkness of the moon. And they lifted all of this from Egyptian uh, this is something new that I've been coming out with recently. I always suspected it, but I've now found the proofs. They lifted this from uh, the Egyptian mythology of Seth Typhon being at war with the god Ra, being at war with the sun. And the book of Exodus strongly portrays uh, the god of Israel being Seth. The uh, Egyptians abandoned Seth, the god of chaos and darkness, and Seth got pissed off at his firstborn Egyptians. And according to the Torah, Seth replaced the Egyptians with the Israelites. And the Exodus is not the story of the uh, Hyksos Israelites leaving Egypt. It's the Egyptian gods. The, specifically the god Seth Typhon, abandoning the Egyptians and choosing the Israelites as their replacement. And the Exodus story has the 10 plagues on Egypt, which uh, many of which relate to darkness. The locusts darken the sky. Uh, the firstborn are slain at midnight when the sun cannot be seen. They are cast into darkness for three days like Jonah in the belly of the whale. Uh, but this darkness shines for the Israelites. It terrifies the Egyptians and paralyzes them, and it can be felt by them. But for the Egyptians, it is shining darkness, which illuminates them. When the Egyptians pass through uh, the void in the Red Sea, there is a dark cloud, which is the god Seth Typhon, and it casts darkness on the Egyptians, but it is illuminating, it is the shining darkness to the Israelites. The Holy of Holies is a black cube in which the black cloud of Yahweh of Seth Typhon appeared, and he declared openly that he resides in darkness. So this is a very dark, very Satanistic religion at its core. And we need to be aware of this and we need to save humanity from it because the end of the story is that darkness shines, wages war on the sun god Ra, destroys the sun. They are now trying to block out the sun with particulates in the atmosphere and that the uh, Gentiles lose, but the Jews also lose because it is only... The only descendants that are going to survive all this, if they fulfill their plans, 
are the 600,000 immortal androgynes, which will be spawned out of the seed and the uh, egg cells manufactured from the skin cells of the Messiah, the Messiah son of David of Jewry. And that all the Jews themselves, especially all the female Jews, will be purged as well and are slated for extermination. And this, again, is the story of the Torah. All of humanity descends from one androgynous man, Adam, who was split into his male and female aspects, which they are doing by manufacturing skin cells, uh, manufacturing egg cells out of male cells, and then combined with the seed of Adam to produce uh, the 600,000 who left Egypt in the story of Exodus, who received the Torah on Mount Sinai in the uh, mythology of the Torah. And then we have a replication of this image of humanity all deriving from one man in the story of Noah. When uh, the gods again felt threatened by the corruption of man and the attainment of knowledge of man, uh, the gods destroyed the entire earth except for Adam and his wife and family. So they want to replicate that complete destruction of humanity and the world, and then to repopulate humanity from a single man. And that single man will be the Messiah of the Jews. And they now have uh, almost completely arrived at the technology, which will enable them to repopulate humanity from a single man, exclude the evil that they perceive of the female gender from that manufacture of immortal androgynes and replicate what happened in their mythologies with the origins of man from a single man, Adam, and from a single man, Noah. Wow. Uh, that's intense to imagine that, you know, they, well, they, they clearly have designs to eradicate everyone they consider uh, profane. And we've seen that with COVID being targeted to Caucasians and blacks specifically, uh, genetically. Uh, that one iteration of the bioweapon uh, so this is a we also have mutually I'm sorry for interrupting mutually assured destruction between America and Russia mm. uh, that will wipe out what they uh, conceive of as the Leviathan and the behemoth. A big part of their mythology is that these two monstrous beings described in the book of Job will go to war with one another. And that is how Alexander Dugan portrays uh, this attack of the Eurasianists on what he describes as being the behemoth, which was traditionally associated with Islam, but then became associated with Marxism and Asia, uh, Asian Russia and uh, China and North Korea and India as well, which represents several billion people, and pitting them against what is referred to as the Atlanticists, the seafaring people who represent the sea serpent, the Leviathan. The behemoth is represented by uh, the seahorse, the hippopotamus, and the Leviathan is represented by the crocodile, a uh, beast of the waters. And so the Atlanticists represent the British, the seafaring people who spawned the Americans. And that is defined by Alexander Dugan and was originally defined by the philosopher Hobbes as being the Leviathan. And then the Eurasianist people represent the behemoth. And there were books uh, written by uh, Jews right when Islam appeared, which said that Islam would be the behemoth. 
the Romans, the Edomites, the Europeans would be the Leviathan and that these two beasts would fight each other to the death, leaving Jewry to inherit the world to come. Wow. And that's what we see happening. And Alexander Dugan is a chaos magician who is calling for all this to happen and utilizing these this express Kabbalistic terminology of the Leviathan and behemoth going at one another and destroying one another to uh, create the apocalyptic wars of Kabbalistic prophecy, which will then enable the Jews to be the sole inheritors of the world to come. And, and again, the Jews don't represent this. This is this is insanity being pushed by the these people who are controlled by a very upper echelon, who is against all of humanity, and who views uh, the Holocaust of the Jewish people themselves as a necessary sacrifice. In the mythology of Yom Kippur, there are two goats that are sacrificed. Only one of those represents Esau. The other goat that is sacrificed as a blood sacrifice on the horns of the altar in the temple represents Jacob, the Esau. And Esau and Jacob were twins. These two goats are twins. So they feel they have to sacrifice both Jews as well as Gentiles in order to gain the power of the gods to bring about what they want to bring about. And the two trees uh, represent the grapevine, which is the blood of the Gentiles, which has to be extracted and which is the poisonous venom of the serpent. But the tree of life represents the olive tree. And the uh, Talmud has a mythology that the Jews have to be crushed the way that olives are crushed and that it's a process of the brain uh, down to the genitalia of turning thoughts into the seeds of light. And it is olive oil, which is burned in the menorah to create the light of the shining darkness that shines when the sun has set. And the moon is, uh, the new moon is totally black, which represents Seth, the black pig of the Egyptian. I saw sorry for digressing no, so no, much. No, it's, well, it's a, it's a, it's a very involved subject matter. And, and in your books, you take pains to, to build this case, uh, of course, and, and provide your citations throughout so that the logic is sound. Uh, I just wanted to advise people out there uh, in my own esoteric quest and inquiries, you know, coming across Freemasonry, I wish I had had a little more foreknowledge about their true nature, because uh, if you believe, like so many religions, if you if you fall prey to the rhetoric espoused, uh, you'll soon be sorely disappointed to realize that it's really a cloak and dagger scheme to create a secret society that can be managed to essentially infiltrate, create revolutions like we saw with Garibaldi. And, and uh, of course, the Bolshevik revolution is connected to Freemasonry. So it's an instrument of this these designs that, that uh, Christopher is, is describing here. So you don't want to find yourself being prey to that system. So by all means, uh, please, if you're a Mason already, consider leaving. Uh, I think there are spiritual aspects uh, to the craft that can negatively impact your life. And uh, if you're associating with Masons, keep in mind that they have a, a worldview that sees themselves as elite and elect and you as profane. And uh, I've seen this kind of denigration of people who think differently as becoming, um, it's part of the process of becoming a Mason is that you're being uh, inculcated to see yourself as exceptional and elitist. 
And I think that's a very dangerous perspective to have as a human being. I think it can, in its most negative incarnation, is what, what Christopher's describing here is just this, this uh, fallacy of thinking that you're a god and that it's up to you to, to engineer and, to, and change nature as per your will, which you see is the ultimate will. Uh, but I just want to play another segment real quick from um, the interview of Joseph Atwell. This is a comparison of the initiations of both a mason and of a witch. So I'll go ahead and let that run here. Uh, by the uh, high priest or high priestess uh, at that time, usually with a sword uh, to your chest. When I went to enter the lodge, a sharp object was put to my left breast. And I was warned that should I reveal any of the secrets of Freemasonry uh, to know what to expect. When you're presented before the high priest, a sword is held against your chest and you actually take a blood oath promising to remain faithful to the secrets of witchcraft. Well, when you are in the room, this um, blindfold is taken away from you and this is a time when they say that you're coming from darkness into light. During the initiation ceremony, the, the initiate is led by the lieutenant of the uh, high priest and is challenged at the edge of the circle by someone saying, who goes there? And the answer is, one from the world of darkness. In masonry, the prayers are ended with, so mote it be. Oh, and one of the other aspects of, uh, or distinctives of the craft was that we would always end any spell or ritual where we released the power, this is where the power was released, with the word, so mote it be. I was intrigued to discover that witchcraft and Freemasonry had so much in common. However, in white witchcraft, followers dismiss the biblical concept of Lucifer. Freemasonry goes so far as to actually call Lucifer God. In the words of Sovereign Pontiff of Universal Freemasonry, Albert Pike, Yes, Lucifer is God, and unfortunately, Adonai, the Hebrew god of the Bible, is also God. And the true and pure philosophical religion is the belief in Lucifer, the equal of Adonai, but Lucifer, god of light and god of good, is struggling for humanity against Adonai, the god of darkness and evil. Listen to the words of 33rd degree Mason Manly P. Hall. When the Mason learns that the key to the warrior on the block is the proper application of the dynamo living power, he has learned the mystery of his craft. The seething energies of Lucifer are in his hands, and before he may step onward and upward, he must prove his ability to properly apply this energy. Of the literally millions of Masons worldwide, how many of them are actually aware of the true meaning of the Masonic symbols? The answer is very few. Since most Masons never go past the third degree of the Blue Lodge, the, the rank of Master Mason, the vast majority of them never discover what they're involved in. And they never will discover what Freemasonry is all about, unless they venture into the higher levels of the Scottish Rite or the York Rite. In fact, they're not just ignorant, they're deliberately misled by their superiors in the Lodge. In the words of Masonry's own authority, Albert Pike, the Blue Degrees are but the outer court or portico of the temple. Part of the symbols are displayed there to the initiate, but he is intentionally misled by false interpretations. It is not intended that he shall understand them, but it is intended that he shall imagine that he understands them. All right, there you go. So the connection between witchcraft and the craft of Freemasonry is laid bare in regards to their initiatory rituals. And Okay, so just a quick clip there. Uh, thank you for checking that out um 
Would you like to comment on the, the connection to Lucifer worship and Freemasonry and, and, of course, as you were describing, Platonic ideals of, of Prometheus creating man and, and being a potential rival to God? Wow. Yes, uh, this also relates to the idea of um, witchcraft being a form of Saturn worship and the concept of the Sabbath. In the Middle Ages, uh, witches and Jews, um, a man named Moshe Edel wrote a book about this. this there was this view of uh, witches as being Saturnists and Jews as being Saturnists. And uh, that is the link. And Freemasonry grows out of Kabbalah. Its rituals are all based in Judaism and Kabbalah and uh, Saturn worship. And that's, uh, that is the link between the two, between witchcraft and Freemasonry, is the Kabbalistic Saturn worship. In terms of referring to Adonai, in the Bible, uh, Yahweh is spelled yod heh vav -Heh. And uh, just as the Greeks were forbidden from speaking Zeus's name, Jews are forbidden from speaking Yahweh's name. So they refer to Yahweh as Adonai, as the Lord. And what is translated as the Lord in many um, translations is originally the uh, tetragrammaton of yod heh vav -Heh. And that was perceived by the uh, Gnostics before the Kabbalists as being Yoltabaoth, uh, the evil demiurge, the creator god who botched creation and who was the son of Barbello. And Barbello was emanated as a female, but she had a male aspect and she wanted to create her own world in the same way that the one had created its own world. So she bore this son, but this son was not aware of the logos and the divine intellect and the upper world. And he created this botched world, which is the world of Yahweh. So this is again, an inversion of the Torah presentation as explained by the oral tradition. And the first public explanations of the oral tradition were afforded by the Gnostics. And the Gnostics revealed, and the early Christians revealed, that they believed that Satan was the actual good God. Seth, the god of chaos and darkness, is the good God. And the creator God, the Ra, the sunlight, is the evil force and that creation is inherently evil and that the soul has to escape the material world and be released from this prison and that uh, Yahweh, uh, who is reflective of Ra, has to be destroyed. So all of these things are interrelated and you have to really understand all of this esoteric uh, ancient uh, mystery, religion, beliefs in order to fully grasp what their ultimate aim is and what their plans are for us. And I would not have delved into all of this were it not necessary to understand all of that so that people um, can grasp the threat that we're under. These are people who want to destroy creation. They view creation as a botched effort of this God, Yahweh, Yaltaboath, uh, Adonai, and that they have to ruin it 
just as in the cosmic cycle of the ancient religions, uh, the Stoics, for example, believed that there would be a universal conflagration, which would destroy all of creation. And then like the Phoenix of the Egyptians, from the ashes of that would emerge the next phase of the cycle, which is the golden age. And that this is the natural cosmological cycle that has to take place. And the Kabbalists want to break that cycle and seize it at the moment when the end becomes the beginning, when chaos absorbs all the energy of daylight and becomes so empowered that it has, through entropy, sucked up and divided all of that order and reestablished itself as master of the universe, as universal shining darkness, which the Gentiles are blinded by, but which enables the Israelites to finally see and gain their absolute freedom from law, order, light, and goodness, in which evil can triumph, but they want to break that cycle. They want to kill Satan. They want to kill Seth as well as Ra. And they want to fulfill man's destiny of slaying the gods who created man. And they also want to destroy man through these 600,000 immortal androgynes, which will be their creation when they become gods and which will then even destroy them. That's how perverse and demented this anticipated process is, and we are all threatened by it. We are daily receiving threats of nuclear war. We see uh, human children being mutilated into this androgynous form. We see the technologies being developed to supplant a generational childbirth with immortality. And this is not by coincidence. And just as... Um, Freemasonry respond by all these beliefs parallel to Kabbalah and uh, also being uh, fed with the wealth of Jewry was alchemy and alchemy aspires to all of these same goals. Um, Paracelsus uh, wanted to create androgynous immortal homunculi out of this womb of a glass flask and out of putrefied human seed to create his own sentient life forms. And this alchemy is being perpetrated on us on a global scale. We see uh, the four elements are fire, air, water, and earth. Air and fire are related, water and earth are related. And they are trying to turn the atmosphere of the earth into a cold, dark, moist environment. And they are trying to wage war on the sun god, Ra, and block out the sun because the sun uh, is related to fire and to heat and to dryness. And in order to manufacture this world to come, just as the plagues on Egypt, which destroyed the Gentile world, they want to plague the earth with a world of darkness, coldness, and moisture. And I know that's a lot to accept and a lot to believe, but look at what is happening. They also believe in the Talmud describes the idea that burnt offerings give off smoke, which becomes the food of these demons, which they believe surround us. And they are burning off forests and animal life and sacrificing human beings and animal life, ultimately perhaps in a nuclear war, in order to feed these demons, this fire, and smoke, which they believe 
creates these demonic souls. And they want to impart a soul to the artificial intelligence that they are creating. And uh, Rudolf Steiner revealed in 1921 that that soul is a demonic soul. And he anticipated in 1921 that human beings would produce artificial intelligence from the material world of chaos. And he said that there were spiritual beings from that hierarchy of being up in heaven on the upper seven planets that wanted to descend and elevate us out of this hell which human beings would create through artificial intelligence in which they would impart these demonic souls. And part of the concept of a demon is that the demon is satanic, is our accuser, is our witness, is our tempter and our prosecutor. And they are setting up these AI robots to be the police, which is a demonic force in Judaism, because it is the police that witness our crimes, that tempt us, that try to entrap us into committing crimes, that then record all of our crimes and then prosecute us. All of these from the eyes of a Kabbalist are the roles of Satan. So they are creating a kingdom of hell in which we will be surrounded by AI robots bearing this demonic soul that Rudolf Steiner said was about to emerge on the earth who would become our tempters and then our prosecutors. And all of humanity will be immersed in this darkness, this cold world where the moon triumphs over the sun and becomes the primary luminary and humanity is trapped in a material world of hell. And they are deliberately bringing this about Wow, uh, this is intense because it, it it connects potentially to some of the research I was uh, uh, under the Freemason. I used to work with. Uh, he's a geologist and a catastrophist geologist, and I made a film helping elucidate a lot of his material. Uh, and the the crux of the of the presentation is this graphic here, which you can see is called "Catastrophes in the Time of Man: The Tempo of Global Change." So these, uh, first of all, the, the history of man is, is a lot longer than we've been uh, given to know uh, by our major institutions, uh, whether it be academia or religious uh, institutions. And this is proven, and this is borne out by the, uh, the um, uh, excuse me, the archaeological record of man, where we have anatomically modern humans that date back at least 250,000 years so same, same. I've seen that same research, so I can confirm what you're saying. Absolutely. And so what you're describing here is that, you know, they're enacting these ritual holocausts cyclically and uh, mythologically speaking. And perhaps it's also true because, again, we, we're becoming aware that there was, in fact, an Atlantean culture that existed at least 13,000 years ago. We have uh, extant temple structures such as we see at Gobekli Tepe that date to at least 13,000 years ago. Uh, if you look at this chart, the most recent catastrophic event is the Younger Dryas climate catastrophe. And Plato described the state also as uh, being 13,000 years ago. Uh, and it was essentially a complete reboot of the story of humanity. And yet some people were able to hide themselves within perhaps an ark. Some would go so far as to say that they ventured to the moon and were able to open the moon and hide within it while hell on earth was being unleashed. And the earth was being uh, 
rent what's the word I'm looking for uh, basically rendered new through this this uh, cauldron of fire and and water this this uh, concept that the earth is periodically destroyed by fire and, and by water seems to be present in the geological record and uh, these Kabbalists and Satanists they seem to be aware of this cycle and to use this cycle the great year cycle as a template from which to know when to enact their own manufactured Holocaust, maybe in mimicry of that, or maybe in celebration, uh, maybe it's sympathetic magic, maybe it's all of the above. But uh, I would love uh, your perspective. Uh, I'll send you the entire film after this, uh, because, you know, again, he's a Freemason, 32nd degree Scottish Rite, so there may be some parallels there that you could uh, utilize in your own research. And, I watched that film, and I oh, did, did glean. Uh, Thank you. Yes, and people should be aware that the BP represents before the present. Right. Um, I was particularly struck by uh, his discussion of platonic solids. Yes. And most especially by the platonic solid of the cube. Oh, yes. If you examine a cube, the interior angles of each surface face are 90 degree angles, you have four of them, so that adds up to 360 degrees, which in my understanding represents a revolution on a circle. And the ancients believed that originally there were 360 days and that five days were added to them for various esoteric reasons given by the Gnostics of the Valentinians and the Egyptians. But this, uh, this revolution of 360 days is represented by the six faces of the cube as the six days of creation. As I said before, the Holy of Holies was a black cube in which uh, Seth Typhon resided within a black cloud of absolute darkness. If you multiply, as was portrayed in your uh, very well done video, um, the uh, six sides by those 360 degrees, you end up with 2,160, which is the number of um, one of the months of the Zodiac. The Zodiac has 12 months and four seasons made up of three months. So those six days of creation represent uh, three two-day um periods which correlate to the 2160 years in an age and if you have three ages it adds up to a season on the zodiac of 6480 years which i think uh jewry kind of rounded things off to uh 2000 years for each age and 6000 years for um that season on the zodiac of three ages so there is a correlation of all of these things and the ancients uh, set up this concept of degrees and things based upon a base 60 number system which came out of uh, sumeria and mesopotamia and that represents those four uh, seasons as four fingers in each finger you have three bones so when you add up those three bones across the four fingers, you end up with 12. And that 12 represents the zodiac. 
And to Jewry, that was very significant because you have 12 lunar phases in a year. These months are represented by the 29 and a half days of the moon. And as you're demonstrating, the diameter of the moon just so happens to be uh, 2,160 miles, which correlates to the six faces of the cube, the 360 degrees represented by each of the internal angles of the uh, surface of those squares. And uh, it's very interesting that all of these things correlate because the moon has phases and represents the 12 phases of the 12 months, which are also signified by the 12 tribes of Israel and the uh, 12 ages of the zodiac, but also by uh, the black pig. Plutarch uh, recorded the idea that Horus had two eyes. One eye was the moon, the other eye was the sun. And you see that in the iconography of Freemasonry attached to those two pillars, the pillar of mercy and the pillar of severity, depict the two eyes of Horus in the world above. Below is the black sun of Satan. But when uh, Horus and Seth were fighting for dominance, as the gods of Egypt, Seth poked out Horus's eye, which is the moon. And when that happened, Plutarch recorded that the Egyptians believed that Horus described that as being the black pig. So that black cube of the moon is the black pig of Horus's eye being poked out of his head and being destroyed by Seth. Yeah, very. It's also strange. It's it's so involved, and in and in trying to come up with a cohesive understanding is a life of work. So I, I want to encourage. But that to cube also represents. I'm sorry for interrupting. In the mythology of Aristotle and Plato, who came up with these Platonic uh, symbols, Platonic solids, um, the cube is the earth. So this uh, represents the idea that the material world is represented by the element earth of those four elements. And each one of the platonic solids represents one of those elements of alchemy. Yes. And they're obsessed with alchemy and, and they have an inhumane perspective where, you know, you see it with something like the harvesting of adrenochrome where if you have to torture an innocent child to extract this ambrosia, so be it. They're just carbon-based life like anything else. And so it's totally devoid of, of any empathy for anything else or anyone else. And so the religions that uh, pay homage to that sensibility really need to be outed. And so I appreciate all the work you're doing because uh, uh, the only thing I can see coming from... A, <laughs> Deuteronomy, by the way, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and 20 says, show them no mercy. Huh. Wow. Right. Kill all the women and children and, and, uh, take all and animals and beasts and destroy everything and show no mercy. That's what it always is so strange to me because, you know, I was raised Christian, but I, I, I did not appreciate that you're not allowed to question so many of the, the hypocrisies present in the book. In regards to like Yahweh being this tyrant and jealous, it just never struck me that God would need to be jealous of his creation or fearful of them. I mean, how could the Almighty ever fear uh, something so material and finite as as man? And yet you've got this mythology you were describing where it's 
man periodically can storm heaven and, and slay the gods. And weirdly enough, it's connected to sodomitic rituals, which I've seen from Tracy Twyman. Are you familiar with her research? Yeah, she was, uh, some people believe she was murdered. Others say that she committed suicide because she started to be investigating uh, pedophilia rings. And uh, it was related to Isaac Cappy. But yeah, she wrote a book that was highly recommended to me by uh, Miguel Connor. Oh, yes. Of uh, Aeon Bites, who was kind enough to have me on a couple times and gave me free reign to uh, explore all these same themes. Absolutely. I think I listened to one of your, your uh, about Dark Gnosis that you had done with Miguel. He's such a fantastic uh, researcher and, and interviewer. And, so and a really nice guy, a really genuine, very yes. nice person. I really yeah. like the man. He really is. Uh, you know, I, uh, there's a lot of nice people out there that, you know, they don't take on airs and they don't feel the need to uh, impress themselves upon you. And he's one of them. He's someone who's just, you know, been quietly creating pretty much the, the largest font for Gnostic research and, and consideration in the world, most likely, over the last several decades, last several years. Uh, I hope Tracy rests in peace. I feel like she was heroic in expressing this occult information that she had gathered and how it connected to pedophilia and to, uh, you know, the desecration of innocent life. And it, it's, it's the absolute darkest uh, manifestation of humanity. And, and these cults, they seem to uh, insist that that is through that transgressive practice that one becomes more godlike. So their, their inversion just is it's hard to even contemplate honestly it's so dark and disgusting but i think the the parallels that she brought up regarding um storming heaven i think it was in her book genuflect which i've not read but i've heard described which is you know that these these elites this is their ultimate kind of uh initiatory ritual and it's also conveniently the ultimate form of blackmail and so we're seeing that playing out with the epstein island uh, honeypot being revealed as this means to controlling pretty much all the planet's uh, upper echelon uh, politicians and and celebrities and so forth. Uh, you just recently released a video about Epstein Island as as being a scale model of the Talmud's description of the flat Earth, which is a really brilliant insight. Would you like to describe that at all? How it relates to all of this? Yes. Uh, first, if I may, I want to touch upon the idea that this concept of extracting energy from human beings by slaying them is an ancient Egyptian, the most ancient of uh, Egyptian religions and the god Shesmu and Unas. Shesmu would harvest the uh, heads of human beings represented by bunches of grapes, and he would tread them in his wine press in order to extract the blood and the magical power of human life. And he would produce wine from it to feed to uh, Unas and to consume himself. And he was the architect archetype for Jesus Christ, the winepress treading God described in Isaiah 63. In terms of this flat earth, uh, as described in the Talmud, it represents uh, the human eye and the pupil of the human eye is the holy of holies, that black cube in the middle of the temple represented by the darkness 
of the pupil. And uh, Epstein Island has that temple as part of the island. And it is surrounded by palm trees, which represent the iris of the eye, which uh, in the Talmudic descriptions represents the city of Jerusalem. In the world to come, Jerusalem will inherit all the jewels, gemstones, gold and silver of the world. So it sparkles like the iris of a human eye. The white of the human eye represents the sea that supposedly surrounds the flat earth. So Epstein built his uh, his replication of the flat earth in the form of an island so that it is surrounded by a sea, just as that model is surrounded by a sea. The dome that uh, was to appear on his temple represents the dome of the firmament, which was thought to uh, surround the flat earth, they said, was surrounded by a dome that had all the stars in it. And they believe that the sun during the day traversed under that dome and in the northwestern corner went up and around and shone on the top of the dome, which is why it's represented as a golden dome. Here I depict how it uh, looks like Saturn. Saturn at its pole has a hexagram, mm -hmm. which uh, is what a cube appears to be if you turn it on its axis. So you have the white of the eye being the sea surrounding the island. You have the pupil of the eye being the holy of holies, the black cube. And you have uh, the iris of the eye being those palm trees and forests surrounding that temple on Epstein Island. And he also depicts the dome of the earth. And the owl portrays uh, Lilith the uh, screech owl of Isaiah chapter 34, verse 17. Wow. That's, that's so bizarre. I mean, verse 14. I'm sorry. No problem. And cool. the lower eyelid, I'm sorry, represents in the Talmudic description, the earth. And the upper eyelid represents that dome. So that is how it is depicted by uh, the Talmudists and the Kabbalists, this depiction of the flat earth uh, represented by the eye, which is also a very prominent image in Freemasonry. So that's that's true. I've heard that. You know, their temples are uh, essentially like a scale model of the Earth, and it's 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 considered as a flat plane. Um, and they they of course are Judaism for Gentiles, so it would make sense that they would pay homage to this belief. Uh, Owen Benjamin is a pretty popular flat earther. I wonder if he understands that he's just perpetuating Talmudic propaganda when he falls for that psyop. Probably not. He seems to be completely uh, incapable of fielding, you know, real questions about the, the size and, and status of our planet, uh, which is, you know, it seems to be a way to... Uh, a lot, to garner a lot of uh, traffic, if you make the decision to become a flat earther, suddenly, you know, you are allowed to gain an audience. And it's boosted while you and I are suppressed. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Shadow band. Proof I think he that. got 25 million or more views on one of his. Uh, really? I mean, the guy's a comedian. I could understand if he's doing this. Uh, to sarcastically mock these ideas, but it doesn't appear that that's what he's up to. I don't know what he's about. I'd like to talk to him about it and uh, get a feel face to face with him. 
That would be great. You know, he's he's an uh, interesting character. He's very funny. Uh, he's very outspoken. A lot of things he says I agree with, but of course the flatter if I don't. And, uh, you know, I, I, he has been ostracized in his own way. He was kicked out of comedy for standing up for children's rights to not be force-fed puberty blockers, to not be maimed, uh, which is in accord with this this androgynous religion where you know you know the genital and it's it's a form of sacrifice you could say because it's a castration ritual oh absolutely and samael was castrated in order to keep the gentiles from breeding because the gentiles are samael's lot oh that's right and was it while he was and this is where tracy's work comes in i was believed that the her perspective was that it was they were in they were involved uh they were having sexual relations shekinah and uh Samael, or excuse me, Lilith and Samael, and then the no, no, no. It's uh, uh, Shekinah sleeps with Samael, and Yahweh sleeps with Lilith, because the temple was destroyed. Uh, Shekinah got pissed off at Yahweh, and separated from him. The temple is their bedchamber, which is why one of the the primary reason the temple needs to be rebuilt is so that the bedchamber is rebuilt, and. Um, so that they can chase uh, Samael off of Shekinah and uh, create a division between Yahweh and Lilith so that uh, Samael and Lilith couple together and Yahweh and Shekinah couple together and both become androgynes. But the big secret of the Kabbalists, the very highest level of understanding, is that Lilith and uh, Samael and uh, Shekinah and Yahweh are the same being. The caduceus represents the idea that all these divisions are artificial and that the true nature of everything is androgynous. It is a polarity of opposites and that the unity of God is in fact a polarity of God and that all these things are ultimately one. Wow. I mean, the, the religion just sounds like a Jerry Springer episode. I mean, it's, kind of, <laughs> it's pretty sick if you ask me. It's, it's insane. And, and this is the thing. If we had a free media, you know, how, how many people would adopt such a belief system if they had it all laid bare like this in the future? No one reasonable would, would decide to become any uh, a participant in any of these religions if they were laid bare. And so that and I think that's what has to happen is like we have to have some type of, I, I don't know, like a, a moratorium on on the zealotry that threatens our entire fabric of being, uh, it's just too dangerous, it seems. And I don't presume to have the antidote, but I know the first things first. I mean, if you just listen to this story, this they're talking about, you know, the castration rituals, and then you see something like uh, modern day circumcision, and it serves no medical benefit whatsoever. It's essentially maintaining a covenant to this, this storm deity who is uh, dead set in our absolute destruction and enslavement. And, you know, it's the same type of uh, bliss, uh, uh, ignorance that is allowing medical professionals to violate their Hippocratic oaths, not provide informed consent, and just inject children with mRNA bioweapons that are killing them. So for everyone out there, you know, that understands that this is, if we're going to have a chance at a better life, we have to get rid of the bad code of these religions. Uh, please support gnosis please support mr bjorkness buy his books question everything and uh let us know your thoughts in the comments give us a like a subscribe a share we're pretty much doing like pirate radio um i'll give an example of my my own story of demonetization uh previously when we were describing these these concepts regarding uh, cyclical catastrophe 
in sacred geometry, you know, it didn't irk anyone. So we were allowed to gain about 50,000 plus followers on YouTube. Well, if I upload any anything whatsoever now that's contrary to the establishment, my punishment is that I'm only allowed to reach maybe 1% of that audience. Yeah, and it's the same thing with Twitter. Even though Twitter's been taken over by a law and I, I'm still shadow banned where previously I had on about 42,000, what they do is they, they put a cap on you wherever you are and they slowly start draining the, the followers and they, they just basically regulate you to uh, insignificance in terms of your traction. Like the most views I'll get on any one tweet is like 400, 500 unless somebody else retweets. So it's just, it's kind of this massive illusion where you're being told essentially, if you don't play ball, you're not allowed to have uh, gain prominence. So that's why I'm over at Rumble now, Odyssey. Uh, I still tweet. I don't really give a crap about being famous or any of that. It's not why I do this. If, if it were why I do this, I would have stopped a long time ago. Uh, it's because people like Christopher deserve to be heard and we have to make pains to really consider what it is we're perpetuating, what children are going to receive. Uh, and now I also want to ask you, Christopher, I mean, I know you probably are not a fan or an adherent in any way, shape or form with the, uh, the, the phenomenon known as Q. Uh, are you very familiar with that phenomenon? I'm not too familiar with it, but I'm very highly suspect of it. I, I understand that. And um, I've actually looked into it in depth. So that's the only reason that I, I see that there is something literally being uh, manifested in the world through it. Uh, its ultimate end. Yes. Uh, you know, I still have to remain somewhat skeptical because we've been lied to and manipulated so often uh, that anytime something that seems too good to be true pops up, you have to be careful not to to rush to your uh, new savior, but I have seen that they have been very good at announcing a lot of what what has come to become uh, now uh, common understanding. Things like Epstein Island were first revealed by Q. Uh, North Korea having a peace summit with North Korea was foreshadowed about four months in advance by Q. So they they have revealed all of this with adrenochrome and pedophilia to the masses. To, so to their credit, I think they've, act, they've been very effective in galvanizing mistrust of the global elite and exposing them. Uh, the Me Too uh, operation, you could say that it persisted for something like 90 days straight and every day there was another Hollywood mogul caught up in those machinations and many of them have turned evidence against each other leading to the arrest of uh, Kiefer Neer, who was running Nexium, which was linked to elitists like, oh, uh, Richard Branson, uh, Virgin, uh, which is he himself is participating in uh, sex trafficking, it looks like. So there is a lot of good information there. But I think there's also a massive amount of disinformation. And, and most people I speak with about Q, what they've run into, unfortunately, is the misinformation. I saw a similar phenomenon occur with 9-11 Truth where uh, you have someone like the architects and engineers from 9-11 Truth who are entirely scientific and forensic in their studies. They want to make sure that all their their data is, uh, is something that could stand up in the court of law and is, uh, has scientific rigor applied to it. Um, but sadly, you'll get fake organizations like the pilots for 9-11 Truth, which was infiltrated from the outset and 
they would fixate on things like uh, the things that could not be proven, such as direct energy weapons and other um, red herrings. So I'm seeing uh, an immense amount of smoke covering the very real crumbs that exist and that have been presented through Q. Um, and I can I can provide links to that on my website. And that's another reason to be in shadow ban because on on the site, using my freedom of speech, my God given right, my American right that our ancestors have fought and died for. Uh, I presented these ideas because I want people to decide for themselves. I don't claim to have all the uh, all the information or, or the, the best understanding. I just feel that whenever we're being censored, that that's a red flag. You should look then in that direction. And so, anywho, I'm going to get off my soapbox here, but um, there could be elements within that operation that are aware of the things that you're describing and, and know how despotic and terrible their their aims are for the species. And they're just working in their own way to try to counterbalance that, counteract that. Um, I haven't followed very closely uh, the whole phenomenon. I don't know uh, the avenues and the networks that are involved in disseminating um, what is the core of what is called Q as opposed to the periphery of what gets introduced as that uh, information uh, filters through the network. So I can't really speak to it on that level. Understood. What concerns me is when I see um, good red-blooded Americans saying things like um, JFK Jr. is alive and is going to appear here. Right. And then it doesn't happen. No, and that's no, demoralizing. Yeah. And <laughs> totally. I'm sorry. The, 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 and that's a perfect example because Q at no time ever stated, actually stated, for, Q only communicates through a certain board. Uh, previously, it was 4chan, and then it would move to 8kun. And 8kun was revealed to actually be, uh, uh, the server for 8kun is a Department of Defense address. And that was part of the reveals that this whole thing uh, has been military all along. Uh, but no, they even said, no, he's dead in response to that. But I think what, they, what they're doing is they understand that there, there's so much conspiratainment. And so in order to propagate memes, you kind of have to allow a certain amount of that in the, in the field so that people will come to it in some way, shape, or form. But it, absolutely, no, no, there's JFK Jr.'s, they say he's dead. Wouldn't surprise me if he was dead. Um, but they will, of course, fixate on that and say, see, Q's BS. How do you uh, respond to the fact, something that I've observed is these people come up from nowhere. Right. And then you see uh, their videos. Uh, Stu Peters is an example. And... Um, mm -hmm. Amazing Polly, I guess she calls her. These people who get uh, their videos get uh, reposted by numerous people all at once. And they get boosted uh, mm -hmm. tremendously all at once. And they've just appeared out of nowhere. And I always find that very suspicious. Understandably, that's, that's definitely a sign that they're AstroTurf. Um, I can't speak in particular about Maze and Polly or Stu, even though I am aware of them and their work. Uh, you know, he's he's gotten a lot of he's he's gotten a lot of attention for sure. Um, part of it's probably savvy marketing, but he probably has some money behind him too. And uh, that's another aspect of this theater of war is that you know our, our quote unquote influencers are rarely organic. 
and they may not even be aware that they're inorganic, you know? So I think it's mm. uh, vast networks of influence are being uh, pushed and mediated at all times. Uh, Russell Brand is not someone I respect at all. He was dating a Rothschild. He was totally complicit. And I feel like he's he's playing that role as well, where they're like, here, here's here's someone who can at least discuss some aspects in a limited hangout fashion of the elite's uh, intentions, but then he's going to steer you into a safe place where you're still essentially going to end up voting for someone like Robert Kennedy or, uh, you know, whoever's not really taking on the deep state. And to Trump's credit, you know, I've never heard an American president, first of all, we had no new wars uh, during his his four years. Uh, we had a record economy. We had... Uh, him recently he stated outright that he wants to obliterate the deep state as JFK Jr. before him, excuse me, JFK stated before that he wanted to uh, turn, cut the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter them to the wind. So his rhetoric is unprecedented and that, that makes me proud to be a red-blooded American for sure. Uh, some would argue that he's complicit because of Operation Warp Speed and uh, taking credit for the, the fast release of this bioweapon, but I think there's a there's a whole nother aspect to consider there that you would have to know exactly where to go. And uh, because I've been neck deep in this stuff for the last five, six years, I can point those resources out uh, to anyone who's interested in knowing more as to why Trump had to uh, basically create the emergency use exemptions for the vaccine, but that he also never mandated it and that he... Uh, maybe understanding their their larger plan, which was to keep the lockdowns going almost indefinitely around the planet. The only way he could suspend that would be to get ahead of it and re release a form of the therapeutic, quote unquote, that uh, because of this emergency use exemption uh, could not be mandated or could not be forced on anyone. But it's it's involved. That, I'll have to do a whole separate podcast just on that particular issue because uh, you know I have friends who their family members got the vaccine because of Trump's uh, positive uh, response and positive uh, promotion of it. And that is something that, you know, does bother me. But I, if we are, in fact, in this global war where, the you know, the, the DNA of the entire species is being altered by these jabs, if you were able to circumvent the full scale release of that and endure certain casualties, say, in, in the tens of millions versus the hundreds of millions, I would say that would be a strategic maneuver. And of course, no one wants to hear about that massive amount of collateral damage. But if you are talking about the potential decapitation of the bloodline of the Gentiles through this device, then you, you have to be open to, to non-traditional means of warfare. So anywho, that's a little bit of a abstract aside, but... Uh, my response to that would be that Trump promised to get rid of the deep state and then put in Goldman Sachs people like uh, Steve Bannon and Mnuchin. And uh, Trump himself said that Congress was owned by the nation of Israel, and that was a good thing. Um, in NATO, he did some very good things. He pointed out that our NATO allies were not footing the bill that they should. But he also, uh, in many ways, weakened the alliance and uh, weakened our alliance with Japan and South Korea while promoting um, 
Kim Jong-un. He did say it was the China virus and uh, came out strongly against communist China, but at the same time did very little uh, to punish China for what happened and to, uh, he did many things that boosted America uh, and diminished China, but he also um, empowered China in many ways. Uh, he continually praised uh, Putin, but what, what we're facing with Putin today was not set up by Trump, it was set up by Obama. And what I see is this dialectical flip-flopping uh, from one extreme to the other, where it always ratchets in favor of Israel and the bankers and throws America deeper and deeper into debt. And by supposedly uh, fighting the problems that the previous administration set up, they, they advance another agenda, which uh, doesn't help the American people. Trump did create a very strong economy, which I think we should latch on to as uh, the potential that we have if we can get rid of these people who are holding us back and how we can advance beyond communist China and how hopefully someday we can form an alliance with Russia and get rid of this battle between behemoth and Leviathan and instead create a system of mutually assured preservation to replace the uh, well, let's just be honest. It was a Jewish-created system of mutually assured destruction. If we were to align with Russia, we could preserve ourselves and preserve peace around the world. It's absolutely insane that Russia and America should be fighting each other. Russia was a staunch ally of the Union during the Civil War, which was instigated by the Rothschilds, who sent over uh, August Belmont, August Schoenberg, uh, to create this civil war where we fought each other and be pitted against each other as the nations of Europe were for the perpetual profit of the bankers. And Russia sided to stop that. Russia is a natural ally of the United States. We're close to each other in Alaska. It sold us Alaska. There's no reason for us to be pitted against one another for the mutual destruction of humanity when we could instead be helping each other out. Um, so Trump is definitely a mixed bag. He's closely aligned with Chabad Lubavitch through Jared Kushner. Both Jared Kushner and uh, Trump are very uh, in league with the Saudis who have turned against America and who have been deliberately jacking up oil prices, which has contributed to inflation, which was also boosted during the Trump administration in excusable ways through um but also through inexcusable ways, setting up BlackRock to uh, control the economy and garner all kinds of wealth. It's blamed on the payments that were given to common Americans, but those are very minor compared to uh, the injections of cash into the stock market and other things, some of which generated profits for the country as well. But uh, what we really need is people who genuinely put America first, who don't want to destroy the world, uh, who don't want uh, this constant agitation for mutually assured destruction, who are not helping the Saudis to become part of this Eurasianist league against the West, 
who are not misidentifying, and I'm not saying Trump did this, who are not misidentifying uh, the uh, West as if it is this Kabbalistic androgynous agenda that has never been the agenda of the West. That was always the agenda of Gnostics and Kabbalists, and it was always opposed by the Neoplatonists who criticized the Christians as being perverse for their androgynous agenda and for their hatred of creation and stigmatization of the uh, demiurge as if it were a devilish demonic figure. The West has never represented those things which it is now being accused of. Those things are instead being uh, pushed on the West by communists and Jews who want to destroy the West. And we should not self-identify as those perversions and degeneracies, but we should instead assert our Western civilization traditions for the benefit not only of the West, but of all humanity. And I'm not claiming that the West was any way innocent, that colonialization or slavery were in any way justified. I'm instead saying that we need to love ourselves and move forward together with the rest of humanity to get out of this agenda of mutually assured destruction, which has always been the agenda of the Abrahamic face. And though the Abrahamic face pretend to oppose one another, when you look at the ultimate products that they are all designed to produce, the plan which is ingrained and engineered into Judaism, Christianity, and Islam and Marxism, they all end up at the same place. And that place is the destruction of creation and the destruction of humanity and um, the world to come. Well said. Well, I think that's a good place for us to end this episode. And I'd love to have you back with uh, Joseph Atwell and others to yeah. get into the nitty gritty details, uh, dissecting what is actually going on behind the scenes with these religions in regards to their their esoteric and hidden aspects, which formulate these agendas, which you know clearly are being enacted, and uh, I'll I'll gather some information for you regarding Q, and I just love to get your perspective on it. It's not a, it, to me, it's I I just appreciate free thought, and uh, I've seen a lot of the the misinformation that's been you know so for instance, you know if if there wasn't something to it, why would the media be so obsessed with denouncing everyone as uh, QAnon crazy, including uh, this most recent Sound of Freedom movie? which uh, is doing very well. I think it's number one at the box office for three weeks straight. It's beating out like Barbie and Indiana Jones and the kind of the uh, the elitist claptrap of uh, summer movies. And, and of course, Trump has recently called for the death penalty for sex traffickers. So uh, a lot of people... That's how they got rid of opium in China. Ah, yes, yes, effective <laughs> remedy. <laughs> yeah, and permanent. <laughs> Permanent, you know, there's no coming back from that. And he said that as much for uh, drug dealers as well. So the, including the potentially the, the big pharma vaccine shills and manufacturers, you know, so I, I think the operation. That's is, another thing that's been missing from society so long is uh, any right. accountability for these major criminals who are killing hundreds of thousands and millions of people. There is no accountability. So there's no disincentive for these people to perpetrate these crimes against us because they never answer for them. And previous to Trump, that was the case. I was I didn't vote for Trump the first time because I was I was so despondent and dejected with uh, having been involved in activism since I was you know 20 years old plus, and really my whole life because my father is a Vietnam veteran. So, 
growing up around uh, the PTSD that was inflicted upon him and another one of these globalist wars that was uh, did nothing for America but demoralize her and, and uh, destroy our infrastructure in terms of our families and our mental health. Uh, so it's just, it's time that we really have some type of, um, I don't know, a pause on, on the madness. And, and Trump's been the only light, the Q phenomenon's been the only light that I've seen that actually uh, presented a different perspective on how to combat the world's evil rather than the same old, you know, war and terror, false flag uh, manipulations. It was something where, you know, they would they would make promises and they would keep them. And um, Sound of Freedom, I think, its success is is a result of these back channels that have been created in the wake of overt media censorship. Uh, because, of course, the mainstream media is denouncing it as QAnon-affiliated. Uh, QAnon doesn't actually, is, is not the operation. That's a misnomer that's deliberately attributed to it as a way to uh, direct people away from the real phenomenon. If, if people want to look for themselves, I, I suggest they go to QPost.online. That's where you can get a record of all of the posts to date and kind of get aware of, become aware of how the... Uh, the gamified aspect of this knowledge transmission plays out. Uh, it is fifth generational warfare. Uh, we do have General Flynn who took the uh, oath to the Constitution on the 4th of July. I think it was 2018, may have been 2020. And he asserted, you know, where we go one, we go all. And when he signs his books, he regularly signs them with where we go one, we go all, which is a uh, rallying cry for the movement. Uh, and, and then, of course, we've had record arrest, record um, uh, CEO resignations in association with it, record sex trafficking arrests under Trump, of course. And these are all things that are, you know, they're, they're purged by Google, so you won't be able to find them. They were purged from Reddit, but when they are allowed to uh, present, they become quickly the most popular sites on the Internet. So Reddit shut down their Great Awakening board, which had been around since uh, October 28th, 2017, which was the inception of Q. And um, I, I think the lady doth protest too much because in their censoring it and diminishing, attempting to diminish it as just a LARP, they reveal that they're, they're very frightened by this phenomenon of individuals being, uh, uh, how should I say, inspired to think critically and independently and do their own research, which is a, a core component of the Q phenomenon. It's never given that attribution in, in the mainstream media, but in fact, that's that's one of their prerequisites: is that if you're going to participate in this movement, you have you can't be a sheep. You know, you have to basically question everything. Uh, but I'm going to leave it at that for now. Thank you so much, Christopher. I look forward to finishing your book. I'm, I'm I'd love to do another follow-up interview with with Joe in the near future if if you might be available. I think that would be very productive. I would very much look forward to speaking with him and uh, exchanging our viewpoints. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording, but uh, if you don't mind hanging out just a little bit, I just wanted to kind of uh, say goodbye and, and uh, just pick, pick, your, uh, pick your brain about a, one or two little more details. Thank you so much for having me. I think it's been a wonderful uh, conversation and exchange uh, of agreement and also opposing viewpoints, which is great. T totally. It's stimulating. And I, I don't have the last word on anything. I just I just uh, like to present ideas that I know oftentimes are not given uh, fair accounting. Uh, and I, I, that's what I hope. For. There can only be progress when new facts are introduced and assessed in a logical uh, Socratic exchange.
Amen. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much, Christopher. Uh, everyone out there, please support the show. Uh, you can become an on ongoing contributor, subscriber. We have uh, wares in the store that you can purchase. And uh, every bit gets reinvested into bringing you ideas with independent scholars and thinkers like Mr. Bjorkness. If you appreciate that, uh, let it be known and, and show us. Please go to cjbbooks.com. Buy some of Christopher's work independent philosopher and scholar he's got over a dozen books and i'm going to dig into all of them and um pick up a copy of the world to come and ask yourself if you know if you find him in error if you find his, his research lacking you know he's very open-minded and available to hear your criticisms and actually um he invites it so that's absolutely that's, yes yes and that that's a, a true seeker and a philosopher if there ever was one so uh please uh Go ahead and uh, reach out and, and ask questions, and let's see where this goes. Well, Christopher, thank you so much. That's it for Gnosis Episode 11 on Tisha B'Av. We didn't plan that. It just happened. <laughs> Shabbatai Tzvi's uh, birthday, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And for those of you out there who might not be sure who that guy is, uh, Robert Seffer has a great book called uh, Redemption Through Sin, 1666, which is a great primer. It's only about 60 pages long, but it's it's uh, densely packed with uh, chewy morsels of inf information regarding the uh, the Sabbatine cult and their inverting inverted practices. Right, Redemption well, through sin. Redemption through sin. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't make any sense to me, but somehow, some way, they, they've fallen into the devil's uh, curse there and uh, think that doing unholy things makes one holy. If you can well, the uh, Talmud, long before Shabbatai Tsevi, said that the world had to become entirely good or entirely evil. And it was much easier to make it entirely evil in their wow. perception of uh, human nature. Oh, my goodness. Yeesh. <laughs> that's oh, what we're up God. against that's what we're up against yeah and so we can levels. see the fruits of it daily everything is going to hell by design that's right and we see that you know the, the trans agenda mutilation of children uh raping their minds and souls and bodies as a way to assault god and nature and it's all based in and apparently the talmud and these other ancient documents and oral traditions that are totally evil on the face of it well, guys, thank you so much. Please support both our efforts, and I look forward to the next round. We'll see you then.